Before we get started with this week's show, just a quick news flash. The Southampton Women's Football Club has reached the final of the Hampshire Women's FA Challenge Cup. They will face Portsmouth FC Ladies on Wednesday, March 28th with kickoff at 7.45 p.m. The location is Haven and Waterlooville FC. Get down there, wear red and white, make the girls feel at home, and help them bring home another FA Challenge Cup. And now, here's the show. You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. I'm really happy to be here. It's a pleasure for me. I would like uh, to make the most of this opportunity. Field to Mane, 25 yards out. Lovely ball for Pella. Onside! What the? And now, your host, Matt Markstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. My name is Matt Markstone. I'm the host of the show, and no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, thank you for making the show part of your day. I hope that you enjoy it. And this week, we're going to look back on the nil-nil draw at home with Stoke in a month that is going to really go a long way in determining whether or not we stay in the Premier League. That was a game that we needed to win, that we would have expected to win. Uh, even kind of going into it, I think a lot of us uh, felt that the, the potential was there for a victory and, and we knew it was a necessity. And for some reason, the results just aren't happening, whether it's down to what the manager is is instructing the players to do or uh, the effort of the players or whatever it is. Uh, I'm not saying it's it's either one of those things or, or, or both or just one or whatever, but it, something is obviously going wrong. And, and joining me this week to help me kind of figure that out is Rob Adam Evans. Rob writes for Fresh Saints. You can find that at freshsaints.com or at Fresh Saints on Twitter. If you want to get in touch with Rob, he is at Rob Adam Evans on Twitter. Once again, as usual, all of those things are in the show notes, but uh, we'll look back on the game. We'll try to talk about uh, everything from the tactics to the lineup to kind of what we think should have happened. And we'll look forward a little bit as well. But, um, you know, Rob, will stress and you'll hear it in, in the, in the interview that he stresses, he tries to be positive. He tries to find some sort of a positive. And sometimes it is, it is difficult to do. Uh, sometimes it feels, um, kind of useless to do, but, uh, after talking to Rob and seeing some things, um, you know, that, that were happening off the field, I thought that were, uh, pretty fantastic. One of those things being the, uh, the job that everybody did that volunteered and that works at St. Mary's to, to try and make sure that the fans can get up to the stadium, that everybody was safe kind of getting in and out, uh, given the snow and the conditions that were out there. Um, and the fact that uh, the club actually made a good call and, and keeping the game on, a lot of people thought it was going to be called off. And from what I saw, if it was, uh, if you live in the Southampton area, you were able to get to the match, uh, fairly, uh, easily, fairly normally, I guess. And uh, that was a good sign. So it was good that we had the ability to go ahead and play the game. Although uh, 
although we were playing, it didn't actually look uh, like we were playing at some points uh, because, of course, there were no goals or anything uh, of that nature. But um, it doesn't mean that good things aren't happening away from the pitch. And one more thing that I saw this week is I follow a girl, um, a young lady, I should say, on Instagram named Courtney White. She is at Courtney underscore White underscore SFC. And uh, she made a post that she braved uh, the snow in her wheelchair. She braved the conditions in her wheelchair. And if she can do it, anybody else can do it too. But, uh, and, I, and I do follow her on, on Instagram and I see a lot. Of, she goes to a lot of games. She's a season ticket holder and all this stuff. But um, she posted a picture of Wesley Hoot and her posing together. And he had some really kind words for her. And afterwards, she tagged him um, on, on Twitter, it looks like. And, uh, he responded, it said, you're welcome, Courtney. Thank you for supporting us. And, you know, sometimes we don't give footballers enough credit for some of the things they do. We get on them, uh, on the pitch and, and Rob this week and I, you're going to hear it. We do, we question, uh, their loyalty to the club. We question all kinds of things, the decisions they make, the minds, the mindset that they're in. Um, you got people on Twitter, uh, kind of questioning all kinds of things about the club, but, um, the fact that you have players stopping to, uh, you know, make somebody's day, make a young lady's day, uh, that, that is something that doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen everywhere, uh, at least where I live. And so to have that, and then to have him actually take the time to respond to her, uh, I thought was, was fantastic. So, um, special thanks to Courtney for allowing me to, to kind of share this with you. If you didn't see it, um, and special thanks to Wesley Hoot for obviously, uh, being a nice guy in addition to being extremely handsome, but let's move on. Okay. Um, yeah. So on today's show, uh, like I said, we're going to talk with Rob Adam Evans. Uh, let's jump into that now. After I tell you that this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the saints report for all your Southampton FC news and needs, be sure to visit the saints report on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You will not be disappointed. Now let's jump into the interview with Rob Adam Evans of freshsaints.com. I'd like to welcome to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all the SFC fans, Rob Adam Evans. He's at Rob Adam Evans on Twitter and he writes for Fresh Saints. You can find them at Fresh Saints on Twitter or visit their website at freshsaints.com to find his writing. Rob, thanks for joining the show. Uh, not the best circumstances maybe to talk about uh, entering this kind of crucial month for us, but uh, welcome and, and it's a pleasure to have you on and I'm happy to do this. Thanks very much, Matt. Yeah, really nice to be on as well, as you say. Um, I've done a bit of writing for Fresh Saints, um, mainly got to know Fresh Saints through Aiden at Mr. Aiden Small. So, yeah, since then, I've done a bit of writing. And as you say, it's not kind of the best um, environment for us to be talking about Southampton. But given this season, I don't think any week ever will be. Hopefully we'll stay up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's a, it's a hope at this point. Um, and, and you're out of university. You went to a university up in Newcastle and now you're living in London. but um, were you studying sports journalism or how, how did you come to kind of write for Fresh Saints and, and, uh, and, and come to be in London and all that stuff? So basically, when I was up at university, me and my friends, I lived with a house of about six to eight people. And we were all massive football fans, all supported different football teams. Uh, a couple of my friends used to write about Newcastle. A couple of them wrote about Chelsea. And then I thought, why don't I have a look around? I've always thought I'd be quite a good writer. Um, I actually studied languages, um, so I always had to do kind of uh, language journalism, if you like. I had kind of a skill for communication. 
And then I got to know Aidan, as I said, through Twitter, and I've spoken to a few others on Twitter. Um, and I thought, well, why not kind of start writing little bits and pieces? I always try and put a positive spin on things, but, you know, as I say, more recently, it's very, very difficult to put a positive spin on Southampton Football Club. Yeah, absolutely. And and so you, you, you write for Fresh Saints now, and that is, like, Fresh Saints is a little bit different than some of the other ones that are out there. There are not necessarily daily articles coming out and things like that. The pieces tend to be a little bit longer um, and, and things like that. So do you do you prefer writing kind of that more in-depth stuff versus just kind of every headline trying to, trying to write a, a different article on that? Definitely. I think um, especially in summer and in the January transfer window, people almost get addicted to writing about their football team. So you'll see a load of people tweet. You'll see a load of people um, do articles based on every single headline they see. For example, in January, we were linked with Quincy Promise from Spartak Moscow. And I, I must have seen, you know, hundreds of articles saying updates about Quincy. My kind of remit personally is I enjoy looking at say a month of football and saying right what are the positives we can pick out of that month or what are the negatives we can pick out um i try not to do um articles too often i don't want to get stale however i've kind of had an unofficial agreement with aiden that i'm going to try and do more so one of the ones that i've been doing recently is more like player analysis so before the season began i did a lot about our attacking prowess which is a bit ironic now um <laughs> and then yeah, typical, really. I may have jinxed the whole season. So if we go down, you feel free to blame me. Um, <laughs> and then more, more recently, I did uh, a piece about Jack Stevens and James Ward-Prowse. So even though look, I know we've not been the best defensively or going forward, I think those two have really stood out to me. And it was a shame to see James Ward-Prowse drop yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get into the, to that part of it. Um, and I don't, did you grow up in the Southampton area? Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I did. I didn't Google or look at where Bridgeport and Dorset is. I don't, I have no idea where that is in relation to <laughs> Southampton. So, um, Dorset is, um, quite near to Hampshire where Southampton is obviously. Um, and Bridgeport's an absolutely tiny town. So I live about an hour and 15 minutes away from the stadium driving distance. I, my nearest club um was Exeter City and they were actually an hour away anyway okay. so Southampton my dad took me to a Southampton game when I was seven or eight years old um he just wanted to take his youngest son to a Premier League football match we went we watched Southampton versus West Brom it was a one nil win James Beattie scored the winner uh, I think it was the seventh or eighth minute and I've supported Southampton ever since. And James Beattie was a bit of a hero of mine growing up as well. It was it based off that game that kind of cemented it for you or, or was it other things that he did? Do you mean James Beattie in particular or Southampton in general? Uh, James Beattie in particular. I, I just love James Beattie. He wore the number nine shirt. I, I think my dad bought me a James Beattie number nine um, shirt after the game in the Saints Vegas store. Okay. And I remember in the old school days of teletext and that kind of thing I'd always go a bit crazy whenever James Beattie scored even if Southampton lost 5-1 and James Beattie had scored I'd be happy he was a bit of a hero of mine yeah yeah no I, I have the uh I have the same thing with Craig Biggio uh in terms <laughs> of the Astros um my son is actually like we were we mentioned we we're going to to London and we were supposed to see Saints play Arsenal and my son was like that's the game I want to go to I'm really excited and then they moved it to Monday so I had to tell him like you know, he was actually rooting against uh, against them. This is this this shows how how uh, how much of a non fan because he just wants to see them, and so he's kind of rooting. He was rooting against them when they were playing uh, Ostersund or whatever 
in, in the Europa League, hoping that they lose so that they wouldn't move the game to Sunday because I had explained the whole the whole thing to him. So now he's he's like, well, they won, but they got to play AC Milan. I'm like, yeah, they're pretty good. They could be they could be out. And he goes, now I told I came home the other day and said, hey, they moved it to Monday, so we can't see it. He's just like, ah, like. <laughs> this is garbage, Typical. but, uh, you know, Arsenal disappoint you. That's what happens. So don't, don't follow them. <laughs> well, well, I really, I really hope they, um, let us win when we play them. Yeah. That'd be we, nice. we need, we need a win and they're not a very good side at the moment, but knowing Southampton will still probably lose. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be great. Um, all right. And, and so living that far from the stadium when you were growing up, uh, you know, you mentioned no, no season ticket, but, but looking no. to get one now that you're you know, out of, out of university and all that stuff. Yeah. So at the moment I'm currently working, uh, on a graduate scheme. So I've got like money coming in for the first time, um, properly in my life. Um, and now that I've got that coming in and I've been saving up a bit of money and stuff, I'm looking at a season ticket for um the 1819 season so starting in august this year to be honest even if we went down to the championship i'd still want to do it so i didn't have a season ticket growing up because my dad's an everton fan okay which was quite interesting when cumin moved to everton um and even though my dad enjoyed taking me to the football it was never really it wouldn't have been useful for both of us to go every single week. So what I'm going to try and do as of next season is get a season ticket, go down to Southampton as often as possible. As I said, if we go down, I'll still go and support the team. When we were in League One in the Championship, well, eight, nine years ago now, I went as much as possible. I think I went to five or six games in both of those League One and Championship seasons. But I'm not going to pretend that I'm the most loyal Southampton fan on the planet. I've never had a season ticket. I've always wanted one and I'm more than happy to be called a bit of an armchair fan at times. Yeah, no, but you, you know, you've been interested in writing for a while and now do you, do you write about anything else other than saints or, or, or no? Um, so at this moment in time, I'm currently working at BT. So British telecom, if for those who don't know, um, and I work in kind of telecommunications. So I'm looking at writing a bit more about cybersecurity. I'm not I'm not a nerdy person and I'm not a technical person, but it's something that's really interesting that I work on every day. However, I absolutely love football journalism. I always stay tuned in. I always um, look for new football journalism on Twitter. I, you know, Twitter is such a brilliant tool. You can find everything from journalism about the conference or national league, as it's now known, to thousands of sites about Premier League football. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got to write fresh saints and i just did a bit of research i always read um read southampton as well so i think that's luke cosman uh-huh. i try and listen to as many podcasts such as this one um and i just really enjoy football in general and i think on a personal level when i go on twitter and see different opinions while sometimes yes i think god i completely disagree with you <laughs> I, I love the fact that twitter allows us to have those conversations around football i think it's brilliant yeah yeah i think i think it can be great and then there are other points that, on twitter where i'm just like do we really have to do this you know like is this the thing but yeah. i think that when you start getting into twitter or getting into social media in general it's it is such a great thing to just see the 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 opinions that are out there and to have you know you can find those those pockets of of people who are who really want to talk about stuff versus the people who just want to rant or the people who just want to you know make fun of other people or whatever it is so there's there there are pockets of of, of brilliance out there that I really enjoy and like this show has been completely through twitter like that that's how it started that's how you know everybody that I met all the guests they all come through twitter and so 
uh, I can't, I can't really complain about, about that. I think it's a, it's been a wonderful thing. And that was part of the challenge for me is I, you know, this is how I'm going to do it and, and let's try it. And, and here we are. I agree. Completely agree. I think it's, I think it's wonderful. Um, and as I say there, I've had, I've had arguments with people on Twitter and then sometimes I'll look back and just laugh and I find them quite funny. But I think football is a game of opinions. Um, especially if you look at something like VAR more recently, a lot of people say like it's going to take, uh, the enjoyment, the kind of, um, Re- the really exciting bits, you know, when someone counterattacks up the other end, even if it's an offside goal, it's really exciting. However, I think, you know, having those kind of debates on Twitter gives us football fans a chance to speak to other football fans that we may never, ever meet and have those conversations. Whereas, you know, in the past, I remember it was you'd kind of watch Match of the Day or you'd watch Sky Sports and listen to other people. Twitter allows us to have that kind of tool to get our passions across. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that concludes the positive thoughts for today. Um, <laughs> I do have, I do have one positive. I, I will say one positive about the game before we begin, okay. and that is that is Josh Sims. I think as much as um, Pellegrino has taken a lot of stick recently from Southampton fans and even non-Southampton fans, I was quite impressed that he started Josh Sims, and I didn't expect it. And I thought Josh Sims was. Probably our best player yesterday. Best of a bad bunch. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. We'll we'll, we'll actually let's let's look at the at the lineup right now. Um, of course, you know we got a draw. We would have. This is a month. Uh, I, I think in, in my mind, I've been setting it up. You know, March is going to be the month that makes makes or breaks us in terms of the we're playing the teams around us. And after that, we got to play Arsenal. We have to play Chelsea in Man City in that kind of run in. And we have that game with Bournemouth. And we never know how that's going to go. But you know, it's. This is one of those times where we really, really needed three points and we, we didn't do it. But, um, you know, looking at, at the team selection from yesterday, um, I, I tend to think that, that McCarthy's going to be there no matter what. Um, Cedric Stevens, Hoot, and Bertrand, I don't really see anybody else coming in uh, with Yoshida kind of on the mend. And, uh, you know, Bednarak, I don't think, is, is, is ready or better than, than Stevens or Hoot. And then you get to the midfield and that that's, I think that draws a lot of controversy right now. Romeo was so good uh, for us. Fans loved him so much last year, but this year he seems to be, he seems to be the one slowing the game down a little bit. And, uh, and then as you move forward in the attackers, nobody's scoring. So it's always, it's always kind of up for debate, but um, anybody in that, let, let's start with Romeo Lamina. Uh, you have that kind of triangle of Romeo Lamina and, and Hoiberg, but which 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 pairing do you tend to think would be would be best suited for us to play uh, in each match going forward right now? So, in my opinion, we shouldn't. It shouldn't be a case of we should pick two from the three. I think we should play all three. I think similar to when we had Kuman, we should play Romeo just in front of the back four, and then Lamina and Hoiberg alongside each other. And whilst you know, I, I know um, Pellegrino persists with a. Four two three one, and a lot of fans want to see two strikers. If we were playing well and we were playing against good sides, I'd want to see three in midfield because if you had Romeo just sitting in front of that back four, crunching tackles, which is what he's good at, mm-hmm. instead of him having to kind of pass the ball a lot, try and get forward, that's not natural. Whereas if you have Lamina and Hoiberg alongside each other, one going forward while the other stays a bit deeper it could work really well. However, we're in a position now where players like Romeo, I just, I don't think there's any point in having them in the starting lineup, especially at home to Stoke. We should have played a team where we go, okay, look, we're going to sacrifice the defensive midfielders and we're just going to go for it because there's no point. 
yesterday, if we had lost the game 1-0 and we were running forward, sprinting after every ball, created loads of chances, I think fans would have almost accepted it. But it's the fact that we haven't tried that gets to people. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to, from now on, if we're going to play a 4-2-3-1, it's got to be Heuberg and Lamina because they're more attacking-minded. Yeah, you got to look at what you're coming up against. You know, uh, if... If a team is like Stoke, they're, you know, we, we really have one guy to shut down and that's Shakiri and, and that should be it. You know, we shouldn't have to worry too much about, about anybody else and we shouldn't have to rely on, on being so defensively solid and, and, and protecting the back four as much as, even though I think they do need some protection because I don't think we're as strong there as we have been in the past and, and we'll come on to that later. But I, yeah, I tend to, I tend to agree with you in, in that should probably be Hoiberg and, and, and Lamina, but I think the manager is going to continue to pick Romeo in, in most situations. Well. Um, and that just seems to be a, a foregone conclusion. And, you know, it's not that I don't like him. It just, I just feel like the, it's not really what the team needs right now. No, I agree. I think, I think in games like Stoke at home, when we played Brighton at home, when we played Crystal Palace at home, Romeo becomes a bit obsolete. He, if teams are going to sit deep against us, we don't need Romeo. We need Joyberg and Lamina because both of those players are still capable of tackling even though they like to pass the ball and get forward a bit more, they are still capable players at defending. Right. Lamina and Joyberg would have unlocked the Stoke defense a lot more than Romeo and Lamina. Uh-huh. That, that's my kind of opinion. Um, especially, I know we'll go on to it shortly, but with the four players they had in front of them, I thought the issue yesterday was there was quite a lot of um, distance between the midfield two and the front four. There was no... There were no kind of through balls being played by the midfield. There were no balls over the top. There were no intricate passes. It was very slow and kind of staged. It looked like Romeo and Lamina were playing in quicksand half the time, which is a real shame. And in looking at that front four, um, you know, you mentioned the, the piece you wrote on James Ward-Prowse uh, a little bit, a little while ago. Um, I was I was surprised he didn't get a start. I thought that last week he maybe had his his worst performance of, of, of recent in recent memory, I guess, but he's been so good for us, I think. And, and, and really I've been advocating that he's really made that spot on the right side, his for a long time, but Josh Sims did have an impact off the bench. And that's something that we saw from him last year. And, and I, you know, you mentioned you were, you were kind of happy to see Sims uh, come in and start and, and we didn't necessarily didn't think the manager would do that. But when I saw him and Redmond start, I kind of thought like, that's, that's a lot of pace. And I'm not yeah. sure what else, you know, is that, is that an, is that unfair on, on my part to, to put those two players uh, kind of in the same category together? It's, I think it's a really strange one because I remember seeing tweets after the game from a lot of people saying that they were quite impressed with Redmond yesterday. And I've got to admit in the first half an hour, I thought he didn't do enough in the second half when we decided to actually attack. I thought he looked quite bright. He had a couple of shots. He put a couple of good crosses in. So did Sims. So I wouldn't necessarily say I'd drop either of them. In an ideal world, I know Ward Prowse has made the right wing his. In an ideal world, you'd play Sims, Redmond and Ward Prowse. However, that leaves Carrillo up, up isolated. So we, we're in a really weird position here where we've got some decent players but no one seems to know what our best side is. The manager doesn't seem to know what his best side is. And we don't have a selection headache because people are playing so well. But we have a selection headache because we can't find... Well, Carrillo will go on to, but 
those three players behind the striker, we haven't found three players that work really well alongside each other. Right. And that's a real issue for me. Sims and Redmond provided a lot of pace and we kind of need a bit of pace, but they don't see it's as you mentioned, they don't seem to work together. Neither of them are the best crosses in the world. Then you've got Tadic, who I thought he was a bit of a passenger yesterday as well. So you drop James Ward Prowse, who's been arguably our best player in 2018, mm-hmm. bring in a young gun in Sims, who every single Saints fan wants to see more of. I was so glad he started, and I think if by the grace of God we stay up, he is one that we really need to play pretty much every week because I think he's got so much talent. But I genuinely don't know the three I'd put behind Korea. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just going to get even more confusing when Charlie Austin's fit because you're going to have uh, Korea, who's Pellegrino's choice, but Charlie Austin's going to be there. You'll have Gabby Adini on the bench. You'll have Buffal on the bench. You'll have Ward Prowse on the bench. Who do you put in that three? And when are we going to find three players that, um, work together really well. Um, my biggest issue is something that Dave Merrington said to Adam Blackmore. or No, he said it on BBC Solent Sports, sorry. Um, and he basically said, what, what is Pellegrino doing in training week in, week out? Mm-hmm. Surely there's got to be, you've got a whole week of training, you've got eight hours a day, if we're calling it a standard working day, five days a week. What are they doing? Surely they should be experimenting every single week and putting three players behind Korea or behind Austin or whatever and finding three that work really well together. And we just don't seem to have that. Yeah, it's, it is frustrating. And it's, I don't know, like I, I kind of feel like at this point, the manager, no matter what he does, he's going to get criticized. Um, yeah. He, he could write us all and put in the, the lineup that we want to see. And people would, we would still give him, give him an issue because he, he just hasn't proven that he can do what, what's necessary. And he hasn't proven that he can make changes in game. And I don't know, it, it seems like, for me, it, at least, it seems like he watched Sims come off the bench and went like, oh, I'll put him in next week. Like that decision was made last week. And, you know, when I see Redmond and Sims, that's that's a, those are two people that maybe we played them against against a Man City or against uh, a team that's really going to come on to us and we need to be able to hit them on the break. But yeah, I, I, I think like I yesterday was maybe a, a match where Tadic, Buffal, uh, Hoiberg, all those guys play because they're the ones that are going to produce a moment of brilliance that are going to allow us to, to, you know, unlock a defense. You know, maybe, maybe if, if you really wanted wanted to, I think an ideal situation yesterday is is Tadic on one side, Buffon on the other, and Gabadini in the middle behind Carrillo. Uh, Long was yeah, back and Long was back and on the bench. So if somebody went down, you have another striker. But you know, but then again, I'm just a guy in California who's you know kind of likes football a little bit. So who like who the hell am I to say anything? But you know, that's kind of, it's kind of where I'm thinking, but no, it's a, no, it's, it's a very strange situation because we've got on paper, we've got a good starting lineup on paper. We've got a good team. We've got, t- we've got players that should never in a million years be 17th in the premier league or, you know, we could be in the relegation zone after the crystal palace game today. Yeah. However, you know, we've just got a team of individuals at the moment. They're not really playing for each other. They don't seem that motivated. And the weirdest thing is they don't seem to play well together. I remember when Carrillo first came in, I was quite excited. thought, okay, this guy is unproven, but Graziano Pella was unproven. Graziano Pella was also a big, strong striker, good in the air, held the ball up well. Good looking. Looked it onto other players. Oh, very good looking. I mean, I, I wish I looked like him. But we, we could have that in Carrillo. And instead of crossing the ball in the air for him to header it in, we kept playing low crosses. And I kind of thought, well, I genuinely don't understand 
what Pellegrino says to the team. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's my biggest issue. I don't, I don't really get what he, what tactics he wants to implement. It, it just seems to be let's not concede. That, that seems the game plan, and yeah. that is why we're in such a bad position. Instead, as I completely agree with you, Gabbiadini should have started yesterday. He didn't do much when he came off the bench, but he didn't really have time to do much. And I'm sure we'll go into that shortly. However, I do kind of agree we should have had um, Gabbiadini in the number 10 behind Carrillo. And then we probably should have had Ward Prowse and, in my opinion, probably Sims. Because those two are two academy kids. They would have really fought for the shirt. Tadic has been, even though I know he scored a nice goal against West Brom in the Cup, I don't think he's been good enough this season. He's been, he's one player that I'm really looking forward to selling. I, I know that's a very controversial opinion, but I think I think he's one player that is, I think he's outgrown Southampton, and I think we've outgrown him. He was brilliant under Koeman, but I don't think he wants to be here anymore. And I think we're we're in a position now where, instead of playing him every week, we should just accept that he's not going to be here long term. Sims, Ward, Prowse. Buffal, Redmond, they could be here long-term, so they should play. Yeah. That's my opinion. No, last year, the end of the season, uh, working with the Ugly Inside on their kind of of end-of-season review, uh, he was a player that I picked out that was kind of the biggest disappointment for me. And whether it was down to the tactics we were playing or or the lack of a target man or whatever it was, it, it, it does kind of baffle me that he continues to be selected, but I think it's kind of due to the to his his work rate you know he he is he's strong um he he will come back and defend and he will i, I guess press and i think if he does that i think pellegrino is going to start him every week i don't think it matters what what the what the offensive output is um and you know i think that might just be down to to the manager um which which is another reason why yesterday's selection of, of sims and redmond kind of uh, baffle me a little bit it's like you know i it, it seemed to go against what he was doing but it, it just looked like there were a bunch of different puzzle pieces out there and, and it, you couldn't put them together in any coherent manner you know it, it it doesn't seem to be going well for pellegrino it doesn't matter what he does it it comes back to what you said earlier whereby he could pick you know you could do a poll on southampton football club a hundred percent of people could vote for the same lineup pellegrino would implement that lineup and start it and people would still be upset with him and I think we're we're at, a, we're at a really, really important crossroads when it comes to Southampton Football Club, where, yes, it would be a big change to sack him now and there's no one to come in and replace him, maybe Marco Silva, but I think we have to get rid of him now. Um, there's no improvement, there's no growing. He seems to kind of put names on a team sheet and hope for the best, and it's just not working. And there's a, there's a lot of times where I look at the team sheet and go, okay, I can I can understand what you're doing there. But there's a lot of times where I look at it and think this this team is not going to score against Stoke City. Whereas I think if we had started maybe Buffal and Gabbiadini, Buffal, Gabbiadini, Carrillo, um, and probably Sims, and just absolutely gone for it, we, we would have scored. The same way... As again, as again, I say, we'll come on to shortly. In the last 20 minutes of the game, it seemed like our players went, right, let's just go and attack now. And Pellegrino probably said it. And we had some good chances. And we, there were a couple of chances that we should have scored and we should have won the game. But that starting lineup looks like a starting lineup, as you said, that we'd play at Anfield or we'd play at the Etihad against Man City to defend and take a 1 0 win. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't look like a, an attacking starting eleven against a team that is in the relegation zone that we need to beat. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Um, kind of looking, getting into the match and kind of looking at it, you know, um, we were talking before we started recording, uh, the sheer number of corners that we had, uh, 15 of them, uh, if my count is, is correct, uh, a number of them taken short. Um, but it, it's, you know, it, it's again, we have lots of possession and, and there's, it's not going anywhere. And with, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on the short corner routines or, or what we decided to do on those, but, uh, if you do uh, feel free to, to jump in, but, um, I, you know, was looking at, at what we were trying to do out there and I was looking at how we were going about it and it, it never really looked like we were going to score. Um, and it, and it seemed to me that every time Stoke city had a chance to break, they did. And they looked dangerous and had, uh, you know, Shakiri not yelled at everybody, uh, for, for the majority of the first half. Um, you know, once he played that ball to, to doof and, and they kind of messed it up, I think Shakiri's head was, was gone and he still managed to produce some moments of brilliance for them. But, um, you know, they, they have almost no attacking threat. And every time we looked like we were going to be like, they were actually the more likely to score in a lot of situations. It was a very strange first half. In my opinion, there was, um, the first 15, 20 minutes, we just controlled the game and we didn't give them any scraps. As you said, well, there was one, there was one chance where Shakiri and Juf kind of bottled it, but you know, we, we were controlling the game. Stoke City had come to take a nil-nil draw. They will be absolutely delighted with a nil-nil draw because that could keep them up long term. However, we, we sat deep again. We didn't pass the ball round quickly. We had a load of corners. We had a couple of bright spells. And as you say, the short corners, I, I don't understand them. I, we took one and it just didn't work. And I think the ball went out for a throw. Then we took another one. It didn't work. Ball went out for a throw, and we kept taking short corners. And I don't know. I, it didn't make sense to me. I was kind of watching it, and then they passed the ball short, and I thought, "That's we've just wasted another chance." And I think that might be because we didn't have a set piece taker on the pitch. Tadic can take corners and free kicks, but again, realistically, Ward Prowse probably should have started. Right. This, this is the thing. I don't even know what starting eleven I'd choose, but Ward Prowse probably should have started. And maybe one of those corners we would have whipped in and had a good chance from. But, you know, multiple set pieces, multiple corners and nothing came of them again. And it's just a bit you can you can just tell when we're not going to score and it seems all too predictable. And I think I was I was going through Twitter whilst the game was going on and pretty much everyone was tweeting the same thing. This is going to be nil nil. This is going to be nil nil. And it, it was. Yeah, <laughs> that was the worst thing about it. I thought in the first half as well, one thing. I thought the referee was very, very lenient yesterday. Oh goodness, yes. I um, I thought, I thought a couple of our players could have been booked. I thought, um, you know, Juve stamped on Hoot. He got away with it. The referee didn't see it. Hoot then paid Juve back and went through the back of him, and that should have been a booking. Even though I know he's our player, that should have been a booking. That was a nasty challenge, and he went off injured. Yeah. And then um, Stokes Badu came in with so many challenges that by the end of the game, he could have been sent off for multiple yellow cards, but he didn't even get a yellow card. Right. Um, and I thought the referee in general yesterday was very, very lenient. And I don't really understand why. Again, uh, maybe he's just preparing us for the championship because I think in the championship, you get slightly less protection. Um, yeah, maybe, but maybe, maybe he wants us to be physical because he knows we're going down <laughs> really but, depressing. But yeah, I understand him missing the the stamp on, on Hoot from Doof. I understand that. But then, I mean, on, on one of the replays, you can see Bertrand go over there. You can see, you know, there is some conversation going on. And at that point, 
somebody needs to recognize that that that's an issue. You know, there's something happening. Even if you don't see the original incident, the linesman, the referee, somebody has to see that. Somebody's got to communicate that. And then, so yeah. when Hoot does go through him that that way, it it, it like you said, it should have been a booking. And and, it, and it's unfortunate um, that Doof went off injured, and I don't I didn't check to see what had happened to him, but it looked like maybe he had broken his wrist or sprained his wrist or something. Um, and, and of course there, I, I'm not, I'm sure that, uh, who wasn't, wasn't meaning to like, you know, injure him that way. It was just sending a message that like, you know, you can't do that to me. And I, and I respect that that's part of the game. And if he yeah. take if he takes the yellow card there, I don't, I'm not really that upset with him for it. Uh, cause you got to stand your ground, especially when you're a, a young center back that way. But, um, after that, you know, uh, you wonder, can he get his head back in it and can he kind of ride himself? And it is, does he go like, Oh, you know, did I go too far with that or whatever? But, I don't know. Like it, it's, uh, I don't know. There were, there were some, there was definitely some, some physicality going on. And, and Anthony Taylor yesterday hands out one yellow card, the entire match in, in a match that I think probably should have seen probably four or five, you know, and I'm, and, 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 and plenty of them on, on both sides. And, um, that there was one challenge from Vadu on, uh, on Lamina where he like scissored him, you know, he had his legs wrapped around hit, uh, Lamina's legs. And, and, and it's my understanding that you do that and that's, that's dangerous play. You know, you, you can't, you yeah. can't endanger an opponent like that. And so, I was really surprised that that, that didn't happen uh, at, at all. But um, it seemed like yesterday Stoke made plenty of mistakes, um, both in the final third and, and, and to, to give us chances. And, and they let us off several times and then we couldn't capitalize. And I think, you know, that is, that is, that is really what, what kills me, you know? Um, yeah. But any, any real moments in the first half that you, that, that stood out to you in terms of, uh, like real, real chances we had or anything that you think we should have made maybe a, a better opportunity aside from, you know, the 15 corners, <laughs> the 15 corners. It just, oh, it's just depressing really. However, I think I, I do agree. Um, just firstly on that Badu challenge on Lamina that I thought that was really nasty. He came in from the side, could have really hurt Lamina and Lamina's our best player at the moment, arguably our best player at the moment. You know, if Lamina goes down injured, Half of St. Mary's just wants to leave straight away. Then you think about the chances that you mentioned. And I, I made a few notes on the game because I knew I was coming to speak to you today. Um, and I just said, we need to be more creative and we're just too scared to cross or attack. There are multiple times where we had, um, you know, the short corners. We had players beating a man and could have put the ball in the box, even if there's no one in the box. Just put the ball in and hope that it comes off a Stoke City defender and goes in for an own goal or hope that Carrillo's sprinting in. You know, it, it's something like that, that we need a bit of luck. But they were too scared to cross the ball into the box. And then there was one, and I think it was just before half time. Redmond put in a great ball. Tadic kind of tries to take the ball around three or four players. He has it on the edge of the box. He could have just shot and tested Butland but instead tried to kind of dribble it around and lost the ball. And then they just booted it up the field and that's half time. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, it was literally, I think, five seconds before um, the end of the first half. So it was five minutes added on and it was 49.55 or something stupid. Mm-hmm. And Tadic didn't shoot. I know, I know he probably doesn't know the game time and the game, game clock, but if, if you're an attacking midfielder or a striker or a winger, and you get into a position like that, you have to shoot. You know, surely you just think, oh, I could have a go here. I could make the headlines. Even if it doesn't go in, he's had a, had a shot. Mm-hmm. And that kind of sums up Southampton Football Club at the moment because it looks like we're absolutely bereft of confidence. And, and that Tadic kind of uh, opportunity 
sums it up for me. That we're we're too scared to attack. We're too scared to kind of um, grab a team by the scruff of the neck and go, we're going to teach you a lesson about football today. Um, and that's kind of, it goes back all the way back to the Watford game when we're 2-0 up at halftime. We could have turned that, that could have been the game that turned our season round. That could have been the game that won Pellegrino, all of the fans. We could have gone on and won that game four or five nil away from home. Instead, we bottled it, lost the game 2-0, uh, drew the game 2 all. sorry. And, you know, it happened again. We looked scared, we looked unconfident and it's it's really sad and that was the big one for me Tadic's miss or Tadic's bottled opportunity yeah yeah in towards the end of the first half um just just before that um Sims there was a kind of a I don't know if it's a clearance or what it was but Sims took a great touch to get around a Stoke defender and then I think it was Martin Zindi and he just completely burned him and and he was running away from him running away from him, got into the box and then kind of slowed up and allowed Martin Zindi to to recover and there were a couple other instances yesterday, one of them being where Sims, the ball came to Sims at the edge of the box. And I think this is in the second half. And the shot was just so tame, you know, it wasn't it, you know, because we, we've seen, I guess, had Sims produced the same level of, of strike that he produced the week before when he came in and kind of cut in on his on his right foot, I think, and tried to curl it around the keeper and, and force him into a save. Had he produced anywhere near that sort of strike, I think I think it's a goal, but it was just so tame. And I think there were in, uh, several instances yesterday where he just kind of hesitated and didn't quite, even he doesn't quite have the confidence. It's like he knows now, you know, he's starting a game and, and there is some pressure there and he just didn't quite do it. And if he, I wish he would have, because I think that would have lifted the entire team and him in particular. I was watching the first half and I thought, God, this is just the same thing over and over again. It's dire. Then second half, within about a minute, Sims is through on goal. And I thought, if he scores this, he becomes Southampton's next academy hero. And I, I, I thought he was going to score. I thought he was going to absolutely smash it into the goal past Butland. And as you say, it was a really tame shot that Butland just saved with his feet. And I was like, well, I was watching the game and thinking, why are you not busting a gut? Why are you not smashing it into the top corner? Mm-hmm. That, that was his chance. To not only you know score his first goal for Southampton, um, restore a lot of pride into an academy boy, but that would have put us one 0 up against Stoke City. Let's not forget here we were playing our relegation rival at home. We needed someone, anyone, to take the game by the scruff of the neck and go, look, I'm going to win this game for Southampton Football Club. Even if everyone hates the manager, I'm going to be the one that keeps Southampton up. I'm going to do it. And I thought Sims could have been that guy and it could have been him yesterday. And I was so, I was so pleased when he started the game and I thought he played, I I did think he played well. You know, I'm never going to blame him for the fact that we drew, but if he had scored, if he had smashed that ball and put that into the goal, that would have been, that would have changed the whole atmosphere of the stadium. Southampton Academy player puts us one nil up against a relegation rival. It would have been wonderful. And it was, it was a real shame. It was a real shame. But then, you know, Further on in the second half, I thought we grew into the game a bit more. I thought we started playing a bit well. We moved the ball around well. And the worry, the most worrying thing was, and I know we've got it here in our notes, Stoke City had a couple of really good chances. They could, well, they could have had a couple of really good chances. Trooper Morting went through on goal. Stevens recovered well. And I know you wanted to talk about the um, Peter Crouch, um, not missed header, but Stevens' defensive header from a Shakiri cross that put it out for a corner really late on. But I think every Southampton fan watching that game just knew it was going to be nil-nil, and that's the saddest thing. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's, you know, it, you were talking about we need somebody to grab the, the, the game kind of by the scruff of the neck. And I'm wondering, you know, I I don't want to keep going back to, to you know, previous times, but, you know, I think we are lacking a, a true leader in the team. I think Bertrand is great. Um, I love him, but I'm not sure he is the leadership that we need. And I don't, you know, because it's not coming from the manager, you know, it, it, th- that the leadership isn't there from him, I don't think. But this is where we could have used somebody like Font in the back. Even if even he's not playing well, just having him in the team to calm Hoot down, to be able to, you know, uh, kind of remind everybody of what they are doing, you know, and, and what, what the purpose is and when they need to step up and, and when they need to direct their attention one way or another. And I don't think we have that. And I think, no, I, agree. I think that we have gone out, we've spent some money, we've bought Lamina, but Lamina is new and he's, he's, he seems to be pretty quiet. Um, you know, he, I don't see him yelling at people constantly or, or, you know, beating his chest or anything like that. And sometimes you just need one of those players that just, you know, like get on my shoulders, get on my back, and let's let's go. And we don't have that. Do you know what really surprises me about that? There's one player in the team I'd expect that from, and that's Oriol Romeo. And it's real. You know, he came in from Chelsea. He wasn't playing. He was kind of second fiddle to Wanyama when he first came in. And last season, he he became arguably one of the best defenders, uh, best defenders, best defensive midfielders. Sorry, in the Premier League. And he was really good, really tough, really strong. And I thought, given how bad a position we're in, I thought when the going got tough, it would be him to kind of drag us out. He's been here two or three years now. He's made that central midfield position his. And whilst, yeah, he's not having the best season ever, and we spoke about this before the show and during, he's not been good enough this season. He's been one of our, if not most underperforming players. I thought it would be him to go, do you know what? I want to be the future captain of this side. I thought Romeo could have been captain of the team after Van Dijk left. And he's just not grabbing the players and kind of throwing them into shape, especially considering he sits at the base of the midfield um, just in front of the back four. He should be the one screaming at people. He should be shouting at the wingers, telling them, you know, you're not playing well enough. He should be screaming at defenders every time they make a mistake. If Lamina gives the ball away, it should be him screaming at Lamina. But he doesn't look—he doesn't look mentally strong this season. And I don't know what's gone on behind the scenes. And I hope nothing has gone on behind the scenes. But he looks like he could have his mind elsewhere, and that's what's really worrying for me. Because I thought Oriol Romeu is one of the players that kind of united us last season, mm-hmm. um, and he united the fan base last season. We all absolutely loved him. We were worried when Wanyama left, and he stepped up to the plate, and he was phenomenal. However, I thought he had the captain-like mentality, and it's a real shame that he's not shown it. And you mentioned Bertrand as well. Bertrand's been here quite a while, and whilst he's, he's a very good footballer, and he's got a lot of experience behind him, I don't think he's a natural leader. Um, and, you know, Poot and Stevens, I think they're too young to be a natural leader. I think McCarthy's not been in the side long enough to be the leader. I think if there's one player in that team that should be screaming at people, it's Oriol Romeo. And then if there's one person at the front of the team, it should be Tadic. Yep. He should be, it should be Romeo and Tadic at either end of the pitch. Tadic has been here for a long time now. He, well, I don't know about um, all of the other fans, but I used to absolutely love him under the Koeman era. Yeah. I thought he was brilliant. He was he was the one who kind of led from the front a little bit with Pella. Him and Romeo should be on the team sheet every week for their captain-like leadership. I know, I know he's an attacking midfielder, but 
he's been at Southampton long enough now whereby he should be really proud to play for Southampton. And I don't think many players are proud to play for Southampton. I don't think they're I don't think they're very proud to um wear that shirt. I don't think they're very proud to play for the badge. I think a lot of them are already thinking about their summer move. See that and that's worrying. Um, yeah. And I, it's a weird thing to say because had we said that at the end of last season, yeah, we weren't brilliant last season, but we still came eighth, still got to a cup final. People would have absolutely slated you if you said, oh, this player's looking at another move. However, now I think a lot of Southampton fans are starting to realise none of these players are really fighting. None of these players are playing for the shirt. Cedric at times seems to be one that kind of screams at people, shouts at people. Whenever he misses a shot, he looks genuinely annoyed. But at the same time, Cedric's got high, um, he's got quite a lot of potential and he's got high ambitions. And I think he might be thinking as well that he can move on. Bertrand, he might be thinking that he can move on. And that, as you say, we do not have a leader. We don't have a captain. It's a real shame. And it's one of the big things that's missing because we've not had someone. It should be the manager, really. A manager should instill confidence. A manager should do what Ferguson used to do and give a bit of a hairdryer treatment if someone's not good enough. But you also need that person on the pitch. The reason Man United were so successful is they had Ferguson off the pitch screaming at people, but they also had Paul Scholes. They had Roy Keane. If you were a player at Man United and you had Roy Keane and Paul Scholes shouting at you, you would try really hard. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't want Roy Keane shouting at you. Yeah, no. But I don't I don't think anyone on the pitch is really that bothered. You know, they can play awfully. They might get a boo here and there, but they're still going to get paid 50 grand for the week's performance and move on. Yeah, yeah. Um, bit of a rant, I know. Sorry. No, no, no. It's 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 fine. It's it, it's the truth. Um, I, I think the best chance we had yesterday um, came about the 77th minute, where and it kind of came out of nowhere. It looked uh, Redmond had moved over to the right because Buffal had come on for Tadic. Um, or sorry, Buffal had come on for Sims and Gabbiadini had come on for Tadic, and so Buffal was on the left and Redmond was on the right, and he kind of gets the ball about halfway and kind of shrugs off a defender, shrugs off a defender, and and gets almost all the way to the byline and puts in a great cross, and Buffal um, comes up and heads it wide, and it looked, you know, if you pause it uh, as the ball is kind of crossing the six yard box, you just go like we're scoring, you know, like this yeah. is it. it, it's all set up. Buffal's you know leapt off the ground wonderfully. Redmond's put in an absolutely great cross. And then it's just not even close. And, yeah. and that was it. And you, you hope that, oh, maybe we're going to get another one. We never got another chance that was that clear, you know? Um, and, and so for me, that's disappointing. But that's also, Buffal's not the guy we want trying to head, head goals in. You know, I don't know where uh, Carrillo was at that point. Um, I, I don't, I know he, was coming, he came off shortly after that. But that, that's one of the situations where that's probably who you want to aim for there. But he's got to be there. I always find it harsh to criticize a winger for not scoring a header. You know, Lionel Messi would struggle to score a header, but that was an absolute shambles of a header. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, before I was in the perfect position, it was the perfect cross from Redmond. All he needed to do was get his head on it, get it on target, and it's a goal. Yeah. He was that, he was that close to the goal that Butland would have, I don't think he would have had a chance to get down and save it. And if it was Carrillo or if it was Gabby Adini, that's 1 0 and we would have won the game and we wouldn't even be discussing. Um, we don't have a captain in the side. We would be, we'd probably be down the pub having a few drinks to finally win a game. Right. But, but again, you know, Buffal has to score, and it doesn't matter how bad the manager is. It doesn't matter how bad the formation is, the personnel. It, if we're not taking those goal-scoring chances, we're going to go down. That that that's 
that is the real thing. That is the real issue for us at the moment. We don't put chances away. Something the commentator said yesterday, which really stuck by me, and I hadn't realised, Southampton have created the most chances outside of the top six. Mm -hmm. So the top six have, you know, obviously kind of right themselves. They're going to be in the Europa League and the Champions League. We're seventh, the most chances created in the Premier League this season. I'm not sure if that's clear cut or just general chances, but we've scored 29 goals in 29 games. All, all we need, if, if we had taken five more chances this season, we'd, be, we'd probably be about 11th in the league. Wouldn't even be thinking about relegation. You know, we, we'd, be, we'd be thinking about the fact that, look, we haven't had a good season. Let's try and build on it. It's the fact that we haven't taken those chances. And it goes back to what you said earlier about our kind of front four. Gabby Adini, after he scored last week, has to start, surely. He, he, he surely has to start. And whilst I know I said I don't really know what lineup I'd have, we should be in a stage now where we're going, we need to just attack and score. Because if we try to outscore an opponent, we might win a game 2-1 and we might win it by the scrap of our teeth. Mm-hmm. But we're not at the moment. We're, we're scoring less goals than most clubs in the Premier League. You watch Newcastle, you watch Brighton, you watch um, Swansea scored four yesterday. Huddersfield scored four against Bournemouth last week. These are teams that are our relegation rivals and they're scoring goals. Mm-hmm. We're not. And that is why I think we're probably going to go down. And that, 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 that Bufal chant, sorry to kind of go off on one, but no. that Bufal chant literally sums up the reason why I think we're going to go down. Because if we don't score those simple chances, and that is a simple chance, a header in the six-yard box, free header, all you have to do is get it on target and we win the game Mm 1-0. That's where we're missing this season. And that's, funny enough, where we were missing last season as well. You know, under Pua, we couldn't score many goals. And that is why we're going to really struggle to stay up this season. I'm praying that we do. I'm not a religious man, but I am praying pretty much every night that we do. Um, But that, that captivated our season for me. And then I thought, when Buffal missed, I thought, you know what? We've got 10 minutes left. We're going to score a goal. We're attacking. We're looking good. I thought, we might we might do it. And we just didn't. And you get to the end of the game and you look back and you think, I don't think we had a shot in the first half. Uh, a shot on target in the first half, sorry. At home to Stoke City. That's not good enough. It, uh, that is just not good enough. And for all the possession we had, the chances we created, the corners we had, we still couldn't score a goal. And we're, we're at a stage now where, whilst I know a lot of fans are kind of saying that Carrillo's not been here long enough to be judged, he needs to do something, and he needs to do something soon. And I, I'm really hoping Charlie Austin's fit for the Newcastle game, because if, he's, if he manages to get back fit soon, he might score three or four goals in the last nine games, and that could keep us up. Yeah, yeah. And that, that is what we need. We need goals. We don't, we don't even concede that many goals. That's the crazy thing. We don't concede that many goals, but we just can't score. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's it. Is we, if we go behind 1-0, it, at best we're going to get a draw. You know, yeah. we're, we're, not, we're not going to come back and score. To, at least we don't normally look like we're going to. And it's been really difficult for me because you know, as a, a teacher, and, and you know, when kids start to, to write or whatever we're working on, it's generally writing in my class. So we, we start to write and they make gradual improvements. And you give them the feedback and you, you keep building on that. And we don't seem to do that. We, if, even if we have a good match, if we have spells where we, we look good for the majority of a half, it doesn't seem to be built on for the following week. It doesn't seem like we've, you know, oh, if we, if we take what we did there and we tweak it just a little bit, you know, this is what we need to do. 
and it doesn't happen. And that for me is, is the most frustrating part. It's the most disheartening when you, when the team comes out and they don't look anything like the, they're a whole new kind of brand of, of awful from, from week to week. And then it all ends in like the same, in, in the same nil, nil or one, one draw. Well, if you look at yesterday's game, we were pretty terrible. Um, in fact, we were very terrible. And then in the last 20 minutes of the game, we played some good football. We started attacking. And when we started attacking, Stoke City looked really scared. It's like what you said about that Redmond ball. It came out of absolutely nothing because Stoke couldn't defend. Next week, we're playing Newcastle away. Newcastle aren't a defensively good side. They're a really poor side. They are one point above us. If you're an intelligent footballing manager, it doesn't, you don't even need to be a manager. It's exactly what you said about your kids in your class. They do the same thing over and over again, and they're not getting better. And you give them a piece of advice that makes them better. That's just logical. One of my favorite ever sayings is um, by Albert Einstein. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Pellegrino has to look at that last 20 minutes of the game and go, my job's on the line. If I get Southampton relegated, I will never get a job again. I have a chance to turn this round. I have to start attacking. If we play like we did in the last 20 minutes of that game yesterday, we play two up top or, you know, we play two quick wingers and James Wolf prowls in behind a striker or we just attack, basically, is what I'm saying, the fundamentals. If we go for it and really attack Newcastle, we can beat them. If we beat Newcastle next week, we'll stay up right? because we will have beaten a team that is literally one point ahead of us. And the Premier League table is so close at the moment that if we stay up, that if we beat Newcastle next week, which, by the way, I really don't think we will. I'm, I'm almost 100% sure we won't. If we were to beat Newcastle, we'd go up to 31 points and we'd be 13th in the league before any other games had kicked off. So we'd be 13th in the league with one win. So this is, these are the narrow margins. We need one or two wins and we could get out of it. Look at Brighton. They've won one or two games and they, they, might, they might well be out of it. Yeah. All we need to do is attack. You don't, win, you don't win games when you don't score goals. I know it sounds really stupid and really simple, but it's true. If we attack and we go for it, we had 66% possession yesterday. How did we not score a goal with that much possession? It doesn't make any sense, really. Go forward, attack, score a goal, and hopefully we'll just win a game 1-0. That's all we need. <laughs> It's true. It's true. That's um, all we need, really. I guess looking ahead to next week, uh, you mentioned you're not you're not feeling overly confident in in what we're doing going there. Um, I don't know. Do do you do you see us getting a point out of it, or do you do you think we'll we'll come home empty-handed? Uh, it's um, next week is going to be a very very horrible one for me. A lot of my friends are Newcastle fans. I went up to Newcastle University. Um, and a couple of my friends, well, me and a Newcastle fan friend have a bet as to who can finish above uh, each other. And we both said to each other, both teams are probably going to go down. So it's quite depressing. I think if, uh, I think it will be a nil-nil draw. That's, <laughs> it'll either be nil-nil or one all, and we'll scrape a goal luckily. I don't think either side will win the game. However, I think if one team wins the game, they will stay up. Because if Newcastle beat us, They'd be on 32 points. They'd have beaten a team just below them. They'd climb up the Premier League. They'd be fine. If we beat Newcastle, we'll do the exact same. We'll leapfrog them. We'll leapfrog a load of other teams. I think 
it will be a really nervy affair. I think both teams won't want to lose the game rather than want to win the game. Pellegrino, I've been praying for about 29 games now that he changes his ways, but he won't. I don't think he would now. It, it, it's a bit too late for him now, unless the board turn around and say, if you don't change things, you're gone. But I think it'll be, I, my, my feeling is it'll be a nil-nil. We'll play a very similar team that we did to, um, in yesterday's game. And it would just be the same old. And I think I, I would take nil-nil. I'd take a draw. A draw would put us on 30 points, uh, 29 points, sorry. It doesn't really do anything for the league. It wouldn't. We wouldn't move any position. But I'd take a draw rather than a loss next week away from home at Newcastle. Because if, if we lose, I think if we lose, we'll go down. Like I, I, I think if we lose, that's another team in the bottom half of the league that will have beaten us and or drawn against us. Well, if they beat us, we're down as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Yeah, no. I, <laughs> nice I, to be positive. No, it, we, we try, but that's, you know, we can only do so much. You can't, you can't, you got to report what's there, right? You got you to say what you see. Um, yeah, it's, it is getting, you know, increasingly worrying. And I think for so long, we've just said, you know, oh, you know, I think a lot of us looked at, at Burnley and Stoke and said, if we get four points from those games, that'll be good. We, we got to draw away at Burnley, a little disappointed not to get a win. But then we come home against Stoke City, a team that is below us and a team that a lot of people have said is going to go down. And, and we, and we wind up with another draw. And, we can't just keep pushing the if we get four points out of out of out of these two games now and then count Stoke as a draw and then out of, out of Newcastle. We can't just keep doing that because we're running out of run out of yeah. games to do that with, you know. And, and then, uh, we have, then we have some really horrible fixtures against Arsenal, Man City, Chelsea. I think if I'm looking at our next games, I think Newcastle has just become a lot more difficult than it needed to be. We drew it home to Brighton. We should have beaten them. We lost at home to Crystal Palace. We should have beaten them. We were 1-0 up. We've just drawn at home to Stoke. A draw away at Burnley, whilst we played really poorly and didn't deserve a draw, I would have taken a draw away at Burnley before the game. I think any Southampton fan would have done. Yeah, yeah. It's the fact that we don't play well enough. We don't go for the throat. We don't go for the jugular and go, do you know what? We're going to win this game. We don't care that we're traveling all the way up to Burnley. We don't care that we're traveling all the way up to Newcastle. We're going to go for it and we're going to teach you a lesson in football. It's the fact that we just sit and wait for other teams to attack us. And I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen it on this podcast from your previous guests. I've seen it in BBC News articles. Pellegrino and Southampton Football Club at the moment don't start playing until another team starts playing. It sounds weird. We didn't start playing yesterday until Stoke had a couple of chances. And then we realized, okay, yeah, maybe we do need to win this game. And then we started attacking. I think if we had attacked from the first minute to the 90th, we would have won the game because Stoke looked frail. If we go up to Newcastle and attack them and scare them and play really quick players, because they don't have that many quick players. I think if we attack their fullbacks, who aren't very good, if we were to play Redmond and Sims and go for a lot of pace, Gabby Adini in behind Carrillo, we could win that game. We could if we just attacked them. But I don't think we will. We'll sit deep. We'll play a structured, deep formation yet again, and we'll probably lose the game 1-0. And I think next week could be the final nail in the relegation coffin um, because we're, ne we're never beating City, we're never beating Chelsea, and we're never beating Arsenal. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> we're in trouble I, man I said um, I said to my friends recently we've got nine games left and to stay up everyone always says that to stay up in the Premier League you need about 38 points 
we need 10 points from nine games, which is three wins and a draw, and we've won five games all season. Yep. I, I don't see where three wins are coming from. The three wins we should have had were Brighton at home, Stoke at home, and then Palace at home a few weeks ago or a couple of months ago. We, we, we should never have beaten West Brom away. I'm surprised we beat West Brom away, but that was a very good win. We scored three goals at West Brom away. We attacked them. We made them scared. We made them look like an awful team. And then what do we do the following week? We sit deep and don't really do a lot. We, I think we played Liverpool um, and we just waited for them to beat us. And it, it's really sad. Whereas if we had attacked Liverpool and gone for it, even if we had lost the game 4-1, scored a goal and attacked, the fans would have got onside and gone, do you know what? No one beats Liverpool. They're second in the league. Yeah. Why, why, don't, why don't we go and do it to Newcastle? Play the same way we played against West Brom, attack. If we had done that yesterday, we would have won. And whilst, whilst I do think we'll go down, and I genuinely believe we'll go down now, we have a chance to stay up. But Pellegrino has to act now. I don't think the board are going to act because I don't think, I don't think they're prepared to sack him and admit that they made a mistake. I think Pellegrino needs to say, right, I might lose my job anyway. He, he'll, he'll probably lose his job even if he keeps us up. He'll, he'll probably lose his job even if we get to the FA Cup final. But he has a chance to instill a bit of belief in himself. He has a bit of chance to get the fans back on side. If he keeps us up now, even though he's put us in this mess, if he keeps us up, I will, I will thank him. I will forever thank him because he will have saved us. Yeah. So he has, a, he has a chance to do that, but he doesn't look prepared to go kind of balls to the wall and go, right, we've got to, we've got to do this now. We've got to attack. We've got yeah. to, we've, yeah. yeah. He doesn't look prepared, which is the worst bit about it, unfortunately. Yeah. What do you, what do you think we'll do at the Newcastle game then? You know, I, I think we've been slightly better on the road than we have been at home um, throughout most of the season, but I still, I don't see us. I don't see us going there and doing what, what's necessary. I think that if, if Rafa Benitez does what he wants, he's going to lock that, that team down and, and we will probably put out the wrong type of team to, to try to unlock it. And I, and I just don't see us getting it done. So I think we got out of there with a draw. With a draw. That's probably best case scenario. And I hope I'm wrong. You know, um, like we were talking before, we tr- tried to be, you know, positive, but it, it, it's difficult at this point. And, and yeah, but um, I don't know. Are there any, any last kind of, Final thoughts on, on, on the match or on the team uh, before we kind of wrap this up? Um, my final thoughts are oh, play, play Josh Sims. I know, I know he wasn't the best player in the world yesterday, but you can tell he tried really hard. You can tell the younger players who were brought through the Southampton Academy, even if they're not Southampton fans, they really care about the club. Look at James Ward-Prowse. His family are Portsmouth fans. He grew up as a Portsmouth fan. And he wears his heart on his sleeve and he bleeds for Southampton. If we play Josh Sims, we play Ward Prowse, we play Jack Stevens, even if we play a couple of the other youngsters, I, I think we could stay up because they will try really hard. Yeah. And I think it, it's time to drop. It's time for Pellegrino to drop Tadic. It's time for Pellegrino to drop Romeo and just try something different. That, yeah. That's my final thoughts. We need to do something drastically different, but I don't think it will happen. And I do, I do think we're going to go down. At least I've accepted it. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to accept it yet, but I'll, you know, we'll see. <laughs> and, and I was explaining that to you before. It's just, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to see the team that, that you love play as poorly as, as we have. When you look at the team on the paper and you look at the players, you know, who are internationals and, and things like this, and, and, and we just can't get it. We can't seem to get it done together. And there has to be something happening. There has to be something going on that, that we don't see that's outside of our, uh, of, of the scope that we can, we can see when we see the club. And, and, you know, 
I, I don't know. You hope that that issue gets solved and, and whether it's just Pellegrino or it's, it's the board and whatever it is, you, you just hope that that gets addressed at some point, whether it's by the new owners or whoever. And, and we get this thing turned around because, you know, this, this, the manner in which we're playing is all, where you can only escape it so many times, you know, uh, before, before it catches up with us. And, and yeah, I think it, it maybe, maybe it might, it's not too late now, but it's definitely close. Yeah. I just on that kind of final point, I think, Southampton Football Club are at a crossroads. If we stay up this season and we get rid of some of the deadwood, get a new manager in, we could, I genuinely believe that we could be back in the top eight and challenging for the Europa League. We have some brilliant young players. We have some brilliant experienced players. We've got some players that, as you say, are internationals. We've got players coming through the academy. We've got a good foundation of a team, but we need them to play as a team and we need to add a couple of extra bits of quality. If we stay up and we sign a couple of players and get a new manager who will attack and go for it like Ronald Koeman used to, mm-hmm. I think we could I think we could really challenge the top eight again. And that's what I want for my club. I don't expect my club to win the Premier League. I don't expect us to get to FA Cup finals or League Cup finals as we did last year. All I want is a team that tries. That's that's all I want from my football club. I've watched us in League One in the Championship, and I remember watching us really try, and we got promoted, and there was a lot of pride around the club. Yeah. All we need to do is stay up, and we could really be on for a nice future. Yeah, yeah. It's it's in Pellegrino's hands. That's the worrying part. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But but um, Rob, thanks thanks for joining me on the show. I appreciate it, and. Uh, Hopefully we'll have a chance to catch up when we're, when I'm over there and uh, grab a beer or something like that. But uh, I appreciate your, your thoughts and please continue to write. I enjoy the articles and everything you guys have going on at Fresh Saints is, is amazing. And uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be able to, to chat with you for, I mean, we've been on, we've been on here for almost two hours, but it's a pleasure to be able to share uh, this time with you and, and hopefully that everybody enjoys what, what we had to say. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, please continue to do the podcasts. And also one final thing please continue to promote Southampton in the U S you know, you never know one day you might be a chief marketing officer for Southampton in the U S and you could be getting our club out there. That'd be brilliant. Thanks very much, Matt. It's been a pleasure to be on. My pleasure. Thank you. Always welcome, mate. Thank you. That does it for another episode of the Southampton delivery podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed it. Special thanks to my guest this week, Rob Adam Evans. You can find him on Twitter at Rob Adam Evans. You can get his writing at Fresh Saints or at freshsaints.com. You can also check him out on Facebook by searching Fresh Saints. The links to all of those are in the show notes. You can get in touch with this show on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We're at SFCDELL underscore IVERY on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com forward slash SFC delivery. There is no underscore in the Facebook address. Additionally, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts now, including Spotify, so you don't miss an episode. As previously mentioned, this podcast is partnered with The Saints Report. For all your Southampton FC news and needs, be sure to check out The Saints Report on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, you will not be disappointed. Thanks goes out to the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. For all your matchday edits, polls, competitions, and more, be sure to check out the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. Matt, who runs the page, did the logo for this show. He's been a guest on the show. He's been a huge help. Check it out. 
You'll enjoy it. Music for this week's show comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The song you're hearing now is Aim is True by Pottington Bear. The intro is Epic Songs by Boxcat Games. The links to both of those are in the show notes. go i just want to say my thoughts are with the astori family who lost david astori the captain of fiorentina uh, a father a partner um, to anybody out there going through similar or difficult times uh, just remember that there are people around to help talk to you uh, that are here for you and that together uh, we can get through whatever it is that you're experiencing all right uh, remember that together we march on.